But you have a 10-year-old uh, daughter. Yeah. You have a 10-year-old daughter. And uh, what what are some of the things that you see her dealing with that you didn't deal with at that age? Well, certainly um, just a lot of uh, her friends are, you know, wearing makeup and, uh, you know, beyond the lip gloss, which is, you know, the simple just put something on, but being able to really put on makeup, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh. to the degree that they are full foundation, things of that sort. And it's really hard when, you know, I have to constantly explain to her and, and have restrictions and boundaries for her to be able to um, interact with those kids because then they think, oh, you're not a part of the group, which is something that is hard for people in general because that is a basic need. Right. It's the feeling of belonging, you know, and the feeling of being a part of something or a part of a group. And so if you take that away and feel ostracized, then that in itself is something that you have to address as well. How do you help kids feel like they, they belong? It's so easy to feel uh, isolated when you log in on Instagram and you see that your friends had a party that weekend oh. that you were not invited to. Absolutely. <laughs> just like absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because the school that she goes to, they actually have a rule. <laughs> well, not a rule, but like a part of their policy is that you include everybody within the school, whether that, I mean, within your class, class. So she's fifth grade. So if you're going to have a party, include either all girls that are in your class or the entire class. So it kind of helps with some of the opportunities that, you know, would be presented in that way for her. Uh, she doesn't quite have. Um, but for those who are in, you know, schools where that's not possible, um, what I would encourage is necessarily uh, finding your niche, you know, finding people that you have something in common with and having parents really, really massage that relationship because relationships is what we're talking about. Mm. And we know that uh, you only need one really strong, solid, positive relationship, and that will buffer some of the um, things that kids are experiencing. So parents really um, would benefit from just trying to massage it and try to, you know, make sure that you're um, having that relationship uh, become something that they can, you know, rely on as opposed to having multiple friends, getting out of the idea that I have to have a lot of friends and I have to have be a part of a lot of things, but just knowing that you have that one particular friend. And if you guys sit around and do nothing while that party is going on, <laughs> that will help to buffer some of the uh, experiences that they were It's having. so true. It's, you know, you, you think you have to have uh, 50,000 followers or 200,000. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a comedian and you know, she's trying to get some stuff done in the industry, and they're like, how many followers? That's the first question. Oh, yeah. And it's like, if you don't have more than 200,000 followers, right. then you, you're not part of the the, the, the club, you right, know? And, right, right. And uh, I'm sure that exists uh, at the school level also right. or with students. Because, yeah. Um, but that is interesting. You said that, like, it's all about just having that one person that you feel connected to. Mm -hmm. As a school psychologist, mm -hmm. and how long have you been a school psychologist? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. Yes. How do you establish a bond with these, with kids, mm -hmm. right? Like, 
because you're as a, you're asking them to open up to you to share things with you that uh, they haven't even shared with their parents most of the time. Absolutely. I'm assuming, or even their uh, best friends. Right. Um, uh, how do you establish that bond with them? Um, we do kind of we let people know that um, part of it is establishing rapport and building confidence and building trust. Mm. And and so when a child comes to see us, the first few times. You know, they may not express exactly what's going on with them, and we don't push it or probe it. They may just want to start out talking about, you know, something that they saw at this particular television show that they like. And it's really establishing um, a sort of trust and explaining to them that this is a space, a, a safe environment. Mm. And this is somewhere where, you know, we talk about confidentiality, uh, where, you know, we do not say anything or let anything that you're saying go beyond this unless. You know, you are, you know, speaking of hurting yourself, uh, hurting someone else, or someone is hurting you. And under those circumstances, because I am concerned and I care about you, I would have to make sure that I can get you additional support. Uh, so letting them know early on this is a safe environment, but, you know, I, I'm here to help you work through whatever it is that you're going through. And so that could just be playing cards. Sometimes I play cards with kids, and during that conversation, time we're playing cards we're talking we're right. taking away that whole you know oh my goodness what's you know what is she going to say what is she going to do and just letting it come out naturally it's kind of like playing catch with your dad mm -hmm. right it's like you just sitting around tossing the ball right. around and then you know that's when you that's a good time to probe and ask questions right. and you know you got this thing that's kind of distracting you from the intense emotions exactly. of it, right? Exactly. Uh, instead of like a confrontational, just sitting across from each other exactly. and <laughs> interrogating. So tell me what happened right, at school right. today. And with us, it doesn't necessarily always have to be within the our office. We can establish rapport with students by going into, you know, sending little nice notes saying, I'm just thinking about you. Uh, or just, you know, I know some people who go outside and go to their games. So it's really, you know, games that they played outside on Saturdays just to really, you know, let them know that we're establishing a relationship with trust. Um, even if it's uh, teachers can do it as well. Some of the things that uh, we explain is something called two by five, two by ten. And it's basically two minutes with a student alone, letting them talk about whatever it is they want to talk about for ten days. And they've actually shown that that establishes a relationship and a bond with a, with a child where they feel more apt to come to you uh, for support. So now, where did that come from, that two by ten? I like that idea. It's positive psychology okay. that we're talking about, where we also talk about gratitude. Um, I know that that's, you know, a mindfulness and things of that sort to try to help students um, become, you know, uh, establish that relationship that is so important. The... Now, school psychology itself is it's a relatively new field mm. uh, compared to, um, like, traditional psychology, right? Like, I'm not talking about like psychology in general, but just like, you know, because uh, I remember when I was in high school and, and like, we had school counselors. Right. But I don't I don't remember like school psychologists like that. I'm like, a what <laughs> it, that, is that? And and I'm not saying that to say like it's uh, it's not proven, but like to understand the scope of what you're trying to do, because 
it's not just you sitting there with the child. There's also a lot of research, a lot of uh, paperwork involved. Right. Like there's a lot of things that are part of it. Can you talk more about like the scope of what a school psychologist does? Absolutely. And that actually uh, presents a good question because uh, school psychologists have been on the school campus. It's just that our role, unfortunately, because there are so few of us within the school setting, is really to our assessments. So we assess uh, children for learning disabilities. We determine if there is an emotional disturbance or any type of uh, disability in which they would need some type of academic support where it's impacting their ability to function in school. Um, And so a lot of times, unless it's to the degree where a student would actually require uh, special education, the school psychologist isn't called upon, which is unfortunate because we have a myriad of, uh, you know, uh, skills. We do uh, counseling groups, individual and um, and small group. Uh, we do consultation with teachers who may have a student in the classroom who is disruptive or aggressive or just not working at their potential, and we go in and we provide uh, interventions, we uh, do observations, uh, we sit on school-wide positive behavior meetings to help the school as a whole uh, determine what it is that could be present more positive behaviors within the school. Um, we sit in student success team meetings where a teacher or a parent may refer a student uh, who's you know, academically not doing well or emotionally, socially not doing well. And we come up with what strategies we could provide that student, whether it's counseling on site or off site and just making a referral. Um, We do uh, sit in, uh, what else? It's so many things. We wear so many hats. Um, But all all in all, we are generally, we do counseling. We do consultations and we assess, but unfortunately, because the numbers of school psychologists within a school setting is low relative to uh, the number of students, we're only called upon when someone needs a special education assessment. And and that's unfortunate because so many things, so many issues can be avoided with a preemptive strike with catching things early, with right. uh, establishing a baseline of behavior Absolutely. or patterns in students. What what would you, in what capacity would you like to see school counselors used more for? Does that make sense? School psychologists or school counselors? School psychologists. Okay. Uh, most definitely with um, helping to understand, helping the staff to understand the role of the school psychologist understanding the function of a child's behavior uh, that, you know, many times, for example, if a student is eloping or leaving the classroom, um, we help them identify why. There's so many reasons why. If it's uh, avoidance behavior, maybe math is just not that student's subject and they have anxiety and they leave the classroom. You would address that differently than a student who is leaving the classroom because of sensory overload. The class is too loud, and they leave to um, escape to avoid that sensory overload. So we try to help them dig a little deeper, as opposed to looking at surface behaviors, behaviors right. and why it's and how it's manifested. Why is it, it manifesting in this way? 
And so um, we try to help and support the school in that way. And also with helping, you know, being allowed to have students uh, increase their social skills, things that um, anger management. Right. Um, Self-awareness is so important. A lot of times what we do is we try to help kids identify what are you good at? What, you know, what is it that you like to do? And a lot of them are really hard-pressed to come up with ideas of that sort. Adults as well. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> right. What your strengths and weaknesses is exactly. pretty tough. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I, I just did that. Um, uh, what is it called? Leadership 2.0? Oh, yeah. Or something. It was, uh, I forget the name of the book. Right. But uh, but it was pretty spot on. Like right. it, I, it really helps you to determine what your strengths are, and then that way you can um, outsource your weakness right. or pair up with your weakness. Because a lot of times I think that even in couples, um, couples don't work because they have the same skill sets mm -hmm. and so there's no they don't have a, instead of a complementary skill set so they kind of cancel each other out they don't need each other mm -hmm. you know versus pairing up with someone like if you're good with finances and they're not and then it's like all right you got the finances right. and i got the whatever this is Absolutely. you know so it is definitely good to know what your strengths are and then to accept it that's the thing is right a lot of us, we know, but we're like, no, nah, I could work. I'm good. I, I right. could figure this out. And it's like, nah, <laughs> it's not who you are. You don't care about it as much as I do. Right. Let me take, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And even talking about, I know, love languages and how to oh. experience, um, to share love with somebody and for that person to receive it. Um, a lot of times people uh, feel that, you know, for kids, perhaps it's time, you know, and they think it's buying them things is their way of demonstrating love, but that may not be that child's way love language, showing that there's love, but being able to spend time with them is generally how they feel, oh, I feel loved it. So what, all right, So, what's your love language? Mine would be time. Time? Absolutely. Uh, you know, if someone's absent <laughs> and just saying that, you know, here's some, here's, Here's some money. Go sh go shopping. Uh, I'd prefer that we spend time together. Let's go to the beach. Let's do something together. That for me uh, is a preference. It, do you find that that's uh, a gender thing more often than not? Uh, where like, because I know a lot of my female friends, the one thing that they are that they want is more time from their husbands, and their husbands are thinking, I have to work, make money to support. The, the things you want to do with our time. Right. That's what he's thinking. He's <laughs> like, yeah, but you want our time to be spent on a beach in Maui. Right, so right. Uh, I got to work this overtime. Right, for us to get to Maui. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, you know, we could just go to the beach two blocks from that, you know. So. Well, I think it could change as well. I mean, right. as we evolve and as we, you know, experience new things and maybe a new profession or whatever it is, mm -hmm. th that could change. Could oh, change. Or what your love language yeah, is. Yeah, wow. I would believe that, that, you know, um, perhaps because your goals change. You meet a goal. I'm reading, talking about Relentless. Right. <laughs> the book. <we> <laughs> 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 and how your goals change. And right. so as you evolve and your goals change, you change. And a lot of things that you thought were important at one time may not be as important. Speaking of relentless, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, uh, um, I didn't even say, I haven't even introduced you yet. Oh. But I'm here with Tani Garcia. Yes. 
Uh, and we met now. Is it is it Doctor is Doctor Tanny Garcia? No, it's not. It's not okay. You only need you. Tanny Garcia. And we met. Uh, I was walking out of Barnes and Noble, and uh, Tanny was reading a book, uh, Relentless, which I had, which I also was reading, and uh, I forgot what my opening comment. To, yeah. Right. It was like, do or do you like it or yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. Book or something like and then so we started talking about the book, and then uh, uh, then you shared what you did for work, and I was like, oh, I gotta have you on the podcast because of uh, what just happened with uh, uh-huh. 13 Reasons Why mm-hmm. and them editing the suicide scene. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking about that. Uh, but before we get we went to that, let's go back <laughs> to Relentless. Uh, did you did you get any takeaways from that? Well, I am about <laughs> halfway through. I actually started reading another book. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm you're halfway through Relentless yeah, and yeah, then you switched yeah. to another book? Yeah. <laughs> This is a brain. I'm, like, fascinated with the brain. And so um, the other book is uh, The Phantom of the Body or something, but it's by Ramachandran, who I actually went – I was in a class with him at UC San Diego, uh-huh. and he talks about the phantom limb, which is when a limb is removed from the body, uh, the person still feels sensation wow. in that limb. It's a phenomenal. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And the different parts of the brain and how it affects the different, um, you know, uh, if there is an, an, e- an accident or a lesion, some part in the brain, um, that it can produce bizarre behaviors. Um, and he talks about that. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, l- Relentless, that, I mean, it's amazing. It actually, <laughs> I work out. Um, Every day I try to. And, uh, you know, he was saying that if your workout is comfortable, and his, he's just basically saying there are three different levels. There's a cooler, there's a cleaner, Clo- and a closer. And, a closer. Uh-huh. and uh, he's worked with professional NBA players, and he says he know he could tell who's who based upon their work ethic and how far they'll go with pushing themselves. And so my workout was like, oh, yeah, this is comfortable. I'm not hurting. I'm not aching. And after reading that book, I started doubling <laughs> up my workout. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to be a cleaner. <laughs> I'm tired of being a cooler. Because <laughs> the, the cooler is the one who, I, do you remember how he defined those? The cooler is just the person who does what they're told to do. Okay. It's the person who's at work who, you know, they don't really take an initiative uh, the, the closer uh-huh. is the person who may have an idea and present it, but the cleaner is the one who kind of breaks all, he thinks outside the, the box. He's the Kobe Bryant. He's the Kobe Bryant right, the and Jordan. the Dwayne Wade. And right. Yeah. And so these are the people who are in the, you know, go to his clinic right before a game and he pushes them and pushes them. And, you know, a lot of people won't go as far or do as much as. As those, those it's guys. so true. It's it, uh, you know they're 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 those people who show up before work, yeah, right, and stay late, yeah, and the people who show up right on time <laughs> and leave right on time, <laughs> right, and then those are the people who will do extra but only when asked to do exactly. it, you know, and it, exactly. it's you see it in in every single uh, realm, right. uh, you know, even in students. I'm sure you right. see you see the that type of behavior early on. Yes, you know. Yeah. And but I, I think like what's beautiful is like no one 
position is uh, more valuable than the other mm-hmm. because the the cleaner needs the closer yes. and needs the cooler because yes. the cooler, most of the people. Yeah. And, you know, Kobe's nothing without the other four guys on exactly. his team. You know, he, he uh, he's great, but. You, you're yeah. not you're not beating five other guys by yourself, right? You know? Right. Uh, and the same thing for Jordan. So, I think that's the value in like, uh, it's it, when you when we read those books because I had the same response that you did was like I want to be a cleaner, yeah. but I was like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a cleaner. <laughs> Look, I am. Tell me what I got to do. Right. I'm gonna do that. Right. And then I'm coming home. Right. Like I'm not staying up late. <laughs> I'm not showing up early. <laughs> I, listen, <laughs> I might do it, but for like a week, you know, because I, I heard a motivational right. video, something. Right. But, um, but it's not my because, like, when I listen to Kobe Bryant and Michael and those guys talk, like, they have a this lights out type of mentality. Yeah. Like, there is no boundary for them. Right. They, I don't have like I know my boundaries, right. and I'm not I'm not going past right. it. I'm like, this is enough. Right. Well, one of the things he does mention is that you can oscillate too, right? What's that? Uh, between like between a closer and a a cooler, or um, because he did talk about how Michael Jordan, do, you know, and and how a lot of times Dwayne Wade will become the the uh, closer, to you know, and and they'll switch up right. depending right. on you know someone will be a co- the cooler for a moment, then they'll be the closer, the closer and back and forth. Yeah, and so you know you can. Yeah, potential. <laughs> to, yeah, you could you could definitely move around. You could migrate right. from one to the other, but it but there, but eighty percent of the time you're yeah. probably one right. of those. And of it's those like two. your comfort zone, right? We're right. talking about comfort zones. That's one of the things that I've personally been trying to do is go outside of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. just in the degree that there's so many opportunities available when you do something that's outside of your norm. And it's not something every day. It's just something, you know, tomorrow I think I'll walk a different way. Uh, mm. You know, I'm just programmed to go in a certain, sura- you know. Yeah. We are, direction. right? We, we, we get into these habits. Right. And we don't even realize it. Right. And, and then we don't realize that some of these habits can generate uh, or, or are generating emotions or a state of being, Absolutely. right? Whether it's. You're just an automatic pilot, so you're not really paying attention. You're right. zoning out. You're not stimulated. Right. Um, versus when you're challenging yourself and engaging yourself, that gets you out of your head. It makes you present. Right. You know all those things that are are positive attributes. Right. Or like my, you're talking mindfulness, right? Right. Being right. in the moment. Yeah. Uh, not looking behind, which can cause you to feel some type of regret. Not looking ahead, which could cause anxiety being in the moment and uh, we know by brain by science that it changes and rewires your brain when you practice mindfulness do you meditate uh, I pray yeah yeah you pray yeah uh, yeah I pray I meditate in the morning and then I'll pray at night yeah it's like I just need to clear my mind Absolutely. in the morning and then at night I'm like God thank you for getting me through it yeah it helps <laughs> you you know from that one experience, you know, it changes you from reacting right. to responding, right. which is where we, we want to be. What got you into school psychology, there, uh, specifically schools? Because there's so many routes you could have went right. with psychology. True. Um, I worked, when I was an undergrad, I worked at a, an alternative high school. 
and uh, the students in the high school were there because they were not they had been removed or not allowed to go to a public high school for a variety of reasons and um, I would sit with them and talk to them and you know extremely bright brilliant they were talking about things that they had uh, done over the weekend or whatever and you know, I was just wondering what are the numbers of population of these students have some type of learning disability that they're not even aware of and how that would impact their academics and their social, emotional, fun, you know, well-being. And so I kind of looked at it in that way. And so um, and being able to uh, work with children, uh, knowing that um, some of the statistics that we have on uh, children who are experiencing difficulty with mental health, uh, you know, I just was reading something that of the 74 million children in the United States, 17.1 or something like that, have some type of or have been diagnosed with some type of mm. uh, mental health issue. Right. And just being in the opportunity to make some type of, you know, plant seeds. Um, and so that's the direction that I went on. Yeah. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to the two by ten. Yes. Um, and bullying. Yes. Because so many people are always talking about what do we do about the bullies after? It's always after the fact. Mm -hmm. It sounds like. It sounds like to me something like the two by ten, where a teacher is taking two minutes a day mm -hmm. for ten days to spend to connect mm -hmm. with. A, uh, you know, a specific kid, that to me, I, I feel like would preemptive strike something like bullying. Mm -hmm. Because we all, like you said, want to belong. And the thing that we hate the most is to let somebody down mm -hmm. that we care about. And if you get this, the students to care about the teacher or their coach or the school or the school psych psychologist, then it mi I think it buffers that type of behavior. Yes. Uh, can you speak more to that? Does that resonate or? Yes, we have um, something that uh, is called restorative justice that we use. Um, and basically it's creating, um, in an attempt to create a school environment that feels more like a family where, um, where you, actually have an opportunity to think about your impact on someone else. And so when you do do something, for example, intimidate, threaten, um, bully, uh, having a restorative circle where everyone who is involved would sit in a circle and would talk about their experience based upon what the child has done. And everyone has to be on board before you do that. We have conversations with the children first to say, are you willing to take ownership for what you've done? Uh, and actually talking to the, you know, having the parents involved, having everyone, and there's a facilitator, and it's organized in a way that is to restore the relationship with the individuals who were affected by it and the school as whole. Just trying to create an environment where it's more of a family environment, knowing that my behavior impact someone else and um, I need to make it right. And so uh, that's how we've dealt with it within our school environment. Um, and it's been, it's been positive. 
so when when you say make it right, so what does that look like usually for the the kid who was the the bully? Uh, making apology, accepting the fact that I did something that hurt you, um, perhaps uh, you know. I make uh, a lot of times at the end of our restorative circles, we have the student agree that this is something I will not do again. Understanding that a, a family, a school environment that's built as a family requires safety for everyone, sense of belonging, sense of safety. Those are necessary and very basic needs for everybody. And being able to tell this, you know, the person that they did bully that, I'm going to make arrangements. I'm going to make amends with you, and um, I will not do this again. And so it doesn't stop there. It sounds like it's very just abrupt. There's ongoing conversation with the person who was bullied as well as the bully. So it's an when, What are you finding is usually the source of that? You're not going to hear it through the headphones. Oh, okay. No, my head's falling. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> what do you find is the, the why? Right, because you talked about why, or like why a kid leaves a class, why a kid uh, uh, is disruptive. W- what are you finding is the why behind the bullying? Um, again, just as with a kid who's leaving the classroom, it could be a whole series of reasons. Uh, same with bullying, whether it's something where they've seen uh, other members of the perhaps family or just someone else bully someone else and see that, oh wow, they got what they wanted. So it looks like it's a form of control. Um, it could be that um, they are jealous to some degree where I feel like I'm going to make you feel bad to make myself feel good. Um, so it's a whole, you know, we have to kind of, again, dig deep as to what it is. And once we identify what the reason is, then we address it in the same way that we realize what it is. So, um so, yeah, we want to have a conversation with the bully and say, we f- dig a little deep to see what it is that's um, creating this, this, invi- this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we do identify whether it is that, uh, you know, they do see someone who is uh, benefiting from being a bully and they want the same, uh, you know, prestige or the same right, power. The attention, right, right. Absolutely. Um, then we address it that way. Uh, if it's just to be a part of a group, if you're, it's a group think type of thing where, you know, if I don't do this, then I'm not going to be a part of a group. Um, so it's, it's really a conversation. There's really kind of no specific way in which to determine. And so it requires a lot of um, communication with the bully. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're an, an investigator yeah. or a detective, right? Yeah, it's like, what, where did this, what's the root of all right. this? And that's so important, I, I think, because, you know, you, you go on social media and so many people want, like, a swift punishment for the kid. And, and then that, that kid is just learning how to punish, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, it, and it doesn't resolve it, the, the bigger picture, right. you know. Uh, that kid, you could suspend him for a week, two weeks, and he just comes back right. m- more upset, more, more angry. Absolutely. Um, and then w- uh, do you find that that, it generally works as a research showing that because that, that restorative justice is that a new thing that schools are using? Um, I know our district has roll, been rolling it out so that all schools are uh, required to have a res- restorative justice facilitator. Um, 
maybe not on site full time, but, uh, you know, someone to come on the campus to be able to help assist the school uh, with running those restorative circles. Um, but it actually started uh, in the jail system because we were, you know, they were trying to identify ways in which to help, you know, uh, restore this person who actually hurt somebody so that uh, they would benefit from their time in there as opposed to wow. being punished. And so it's taking the whole, like you're saying, the punishment feature out of it, but making them accountable. Right. There's still accountability. Right. And that's a, an important part of restorative justice as well. Um, but understanding the behavior and um, in an attempt to prevent it from happening uh, you know, that's it's really powerful because uh, I, I, I know I have some friends who don't think it's enough. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that um, either, you know, the it's not being the problem is usually like with the facility, because if you facilitate it the right way, it usually is enough. Mm -hmm. um, I used to work in a group home oh, uh -huh. and w uh, with kids who were placed there by the courts, either for their behavior or they were just, their their home situation wasn't the best for them, so they were there temporarily. And sometimes we have to put these kids in timeout, which was unfortunately like a cement room. Like if they got into a fight, right. uh, you know, you got 15 kids and you got to physically separate them sometimes. And you put one kid who's uh, a, a physical threat to another kid right. in, uh, in a cement room. Um, but... One of the things it taught me was that you could not let that kid out the room until they took ownership for their behavior. Mm -hmm. So I would open a door and I would say, why are you in here? Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, because such and such. Then I have to close the door. Right. And it might take two or three. Sorry, that's mine. Oh, uh, we're going to pause for a second. And so it wasn't until uh, the, the kid said, uh, I'm in here because I threw a chair or I said such and such or I grabbed, you know. And then once you heard them uh, take ownership, then you would let them out. Right. Um, and even then you would go, uh, so what, do, what are we going to do next time? Right. That, I found like that was so powerful to like because you're going to get upset again. Right. And that kid let's just. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and and it's not it might, it might not be that kid. It might be another kid. Absolutely. It might be a teacher. So how are you going to handle your emotions next time? Exactly. And then w once they then you were like, all right. But even then you still have to give them a punishment. Right. You go. All right. But so, you know, what the punishment or the consequence, you didn't right. say punishment. Um, and I found that. Over time, it, it doesn't. I think so many people want this bam, right. like this is what this is the you know, the behavior, the consequence, and then we never see it again. Right. And we're not like that. I've been trying to stop, I've been trying to stop eating Oreo cookies <laughs> since 83. Double stuff, uh, uh, yeah, double stuff. <laughs> Let me tell I eat, I'm eating fewer Oreo cookies, but. I haven't stopped eating Oreo. Right, cookies. right. But it's getting better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's what we want to see. Absolutely. And 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 I think that a lot of parents out there want that swift justice. Right. The public wants swift justice right. as opposed to 
is the behavior getting better over time yeah, right. so that we can then have this person who was a bully and who was a violent uh, exist in the world right. as a thinking person versus a reactive person. Yes, we have a uh, restorative uh, justice room, and what happens is we know, you know, when a child or anyone is in that uh, fight, flight, or freeze mode where they're just energetic, you know, uh, when you're in that, you, you have that cortisol flowing through your body and, you know, that gives you the whatever it is that you need in order to flee a situation and you're angry and you're mad and you're yelling and you're screaming. There is no, when, when that happens, you're actually shutting down the, fr the part of the brain that's responsible for reasoning and problem solving and empathy. And so you really, we give the child the opportunity to feel that, but they're not ready to talk about anything about, like you're saying, about uh, coming up with any, t you know, taking responsibility until that part of the brain has handed over the wheel, the keys to the car, to the prefrontal cortex, which is where that empathy and thinking happens. Um, and then once they get there, then we can talk about what, you know, again, it goes back to self-awareness. What are your triggers? What happened? Uh, when we talk about uh, one of the things we're also doing with our school is trauma-informed to teach the staff that to not ask what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? What's causing this, this reaction where uh, if someone, you know, we had a little kid, you know, kindergarten, another kid, you know, licked his tongue out at him, and he just went straight into that fight, flutter, freeze mode. And we had to, you know, what hap what, it, what is it about that behavior or that person or whatever it is that causes you to react in that way? And so, again, like you're saying, self-awareness is so important, understanding what your triggers are, what it is that's causing you to react. And basically with that power and, and understanding that about yourself, then you can make uh, – provisions on how you're going to respond differently. Um, that is so valuable. Valuable. Anybody out there listening. For a couple reasons, uh, the fight, flight, or freeze. Because I just learned this uh, in couples therapy. I went to couples therapy uh, in my last relationship. Uh -huh. uh, and if and even though we broke up, I still learned so many valuable things. And had I learned this stuff earlier... Uh, I, may, I might be married today, but um, even in a relationship, an adult relationship, right, I realize that, like, when you get in an argument with your girl, that she's in, I mean, you're both in, if you're both aroused, mm -hmm. in that fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. you're, you're all amygdala. You're both upset about Absolutely. whatever. And I realize that, like, as a, as a guy, and I talk to most of my boys about this, like, I'm always trying to fix the situation mm. and you can't because she's not in her prefrontal cortex she's right. in her amygdala absolutely as you are typically and yeah. so we got two amygdalas two two animals yeah really our basic instincts basic right? instincts yeah, absolutely going at it yeah and and then nothing gets resolved and i realize like i have to wait 24 hours to come back and be like i heard what you said yesterday yeah. i understand here's what i think we can do then you can you have to but you have to wait till the the dust is settled right. to go in for the fix right right and so like going back to what you're talking about with kids is like 
we're trying to get them to feel and fix in the moment. Mm -hmm. And their their little their prefrontal cortex ain't even developed right. until their twenties or Absolutely. something, right? Um, and so and then for women it's a little earlier. Was it 20, 21? Yeah, 20, 21, 22, 22? 24 for boys or something. Like and then a little later for boys, right. right? So you got this boy who is not even in his prefrontal cortex right. until his mid twenties, right. and that's if he hasn't had any physical abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, or played any sports like football, basketball, mm -hmm. or there are that can cause lesions, which goes back to that book you're reading, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And so there's a whole physiological aspect to behavior that um, is too expensive for us to to really look into. Right. I uh, mean, we're multi-complex individuals, right? right? I mean, we talk about physiological. I mean, we know never let yourself be too tired, too hungry too lonely, those things. And so we, you know, one of the things, you know, even as basic as drinking water, we walk around, I think the general population walks around dehydrated. And we know when you're dehydrated, you have specific, you know, low energy. Um, some people have anxiety. Uh, and so self-awareness, knowing your physical capacity, your needs, your emotional, your social, all of that is uh, necessarily. But one of the things that um, helps too is, you know, and I do it with my daughter, is when she comes to me about something that maybe happened w between her and a friend, I say, uh, do you want me to um, offer you advice? Do you want me to get involved? Or do you want me to just listen? Mm. And nine out of ten times, just listening, you know, because uh, you, you're giving them that opportunity to let that cortisol slow down out of their body, and now they're ready to actually. And a lot of times after they're talking and they're saying, they feel better, right? And now they're like, oh, okay, I see that. I kind of blew that out of proportion, and it's really not that bad or whatever the situation is. But being able to just offer those three um options for someone who's you know you're either having an argument with or somebody who you're talking to who's coming yeah. to you just to communicate and what's great about that is you're teaching her then also how to communicate with someone else because now when something comes up and maybe you're not there she can then just say hey i just need you to listen absolutely you know or i i need you to get involved or i need your advice exactly you know and so now you're teaching her how to communicate, and that's going to be great for the guy that she married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, honey, I just need you to listen. <laughs> listen, I need your advice, <laughs> right? Absolutely, right? <laughs> you just saved her so many years in therapy because so many of my boys were just like, oh, wait, do you want me to listen? Do you, like, what, what do you? <laughs> what do you want from what, me yeah, right now? Yeah, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't know. Can you just, oh, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know if you can speak to this, but what you just said about don't let yourself be too hungry, too tired, too lonely. I just read a stat that said, out of, it was listing the five things that c students today are struggling with, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the five are suicidal ideation, mm -hmm. anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, uh, addiction, and then eating disorders. Mm -hmm. With the eating disorder, I didn't know uh, it has the highest mortality rate 
of the five. Mm. Have you, how much have you dealt with that uh, within a school that, that, or just in your 20 years of experience? Because um, I've never heard that stat and I, it, it's not something that's yeah, really yes. highlighted. Yeah, that most people know about. Well, I uh, only have experienced or have someone who had a, who's anorexic um, once in my experience. I do work in kind of lower socioeconomic uh, schools where you do see more kind of suicidal ideations, tra- you know, a lot of trauma uh, being manifested in that within the school setting. Um, but uh, the distorted thinking of it and thinking uh, that their body is not small enough or not, you know, they're not good enough or uh, is, you know, we talk about the top down and how our thinking is so, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whatever it is that you've taken on as a thought, um, oftentimes that becomes a record player that's playing over and over in your head that you're not even aware of. And that affects your behavior. It affects because it's an experience and it affects your view of the world, your view of yourself. Um, and so a lot of times addressing, you know, negative thoughts, negative self-talk, things of that sort uh, can help. But I haven't personally in my career had many um, interactions with students who have eating disorders. I, uh, that's, you know, the, the feeling of I'm not enough. Yes. That's one of the things I've was, uh, or still I'm working on mm-hmm. in therapy. And what's interesting, it, it, I don't want to say the root of it, but part of the root of it is, uh, you can put that over there mm-hmm. if, if that's easier for mm-hmm. you to have to be up there. It doesn't matter where you put it. Um, <laughs> is I had always been raised with the idea of being better, mm. right? And it's like, you know, every year you want to look back on your life and how you got better. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, I, I kind of took that in to, to, to so that when I do achieve something, mm-hmm. I'm always looking, instead of enjoying it and being like, this is great, I'm like, how could this have been better? And I realize now that it's created a sense of uh, inadequacy mm-hmm. because I'm always looking for the flaw in it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's powerful that, y- you know, you don't realize, like, how something that um, a, m- a positive message mm-hmm. can then be over time viewed or taken, uh, have negative consequences or negative results. Right. So I think there are a lot of parents out there who are, have the best of intentions with, uh, you know, um, you know, do your best, be better, and all these different mm-hmm. things. And sometimes there's a, there's a shadow side, as Robert Greene would say, uh, to some of that. How, what are some ways that you see uh, parents uh, communicating with their kids uh, that uh, can be improved on. Does that question make sense? Yes. Meaning, yes. so for instance, like, um, you know, instead of being like, uh, you're smart, you want to reward their effort. Absolutely. That kind of stuff. Right, right, right. right. So, uh, you know, messages like that, can you speak uh, more yeah. to that? I think a lot of times what 
uh, happens is, uh, you know, for example, if we even give it a compliment to someone or to our children, it's very vague. You know, oh, good job. I think being specific about what we're saying, like good job at working towards that goal, uh, that's helpful because a lot of times children say, well, you're smart. I remember when I was working in um, high school at one year, one time, and a lot of times I saw students who did have anxiety because when they were younger, they were told they were smart, which meant to them that they could uh, understand information and grasp concepts quickly with little work. And then you see them get into middle school and high school and the expectation raises and then the the work beca becomes more challenging and they kind of have a difficult time adjusting because now that work ethic was not there necessarily because they were said till they were smart. And so um, being specific about what it is that you you like about um, your kid, whatever it is that you're complimenting them about um, is really helpful. Could you give um, us a couple examples of what that would sound like? So, for example, and I do it even with my kids. So if a kid comes in my room and they say, and, and I just say, oh, good job, they're less apt to believe me in the degree that, well, you probably say that sounds like a catch kind of word or catch phrase. Being specific makes it a little more personal, and it makes it more receptive to them that it's me that you're talking about and not just generalities. For example, like you're saying, if you uh, have a goal and the kid um, was working towards a goal, maybe they didn't meet it. And you're saying, you know, I think it's awesome that you were able to uh, continue uh, your goal and your plan day to day. And although you didn't meet that goal, that's okay because you learned a lot on your, on your way there. But just being a little more specific about what they say um, to the kid is is more the brain just will receive it more as a personal uh, acceptance versus something that's just a general great job you're awesome that type of thing. Um, so I think just being specific and making it a more personal uh, compliment or a personal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even and so two things uh, I, I like to unpack is one is the emphasis on uh, you learned some things on the way mm -hmm. because you always want to emphasize to your kid and to yourself mm -hmm. uh, that learn that the learning process. Mm -hmm. And what are the takeaways from it? Right. Because like you said, even if you don't get to where you're going, there are some things you picked up along the way that have made you a better person, right. uh, quote unquote, or that you could take with you to the next thing. And then the other thing is, uh, even in, you know, like catcalling is such a, um, a thing in the news and with right. the Me Too movement. And uh, a lot of guys don't know how to compliment women. They're like, damn, you look good. <laughs> you look fine. And it's not that for the fellas out there listening, it's not that women don't want to be complimented. Right. Is that be specific? Right. You know, I saw this uh, this young woman the other day, and she had she head to toe just put together. Okay. And I was like, "Wow, you <laughs> just put yourself together from head to toe. Yeah. The colors, the you know. Right. Uh, I was like, I appreciate you putting in that effort. You know. Yeah. And it was just a sincere. Like I wasn't trying to hit on her. I was just a uh, and you could just tell she just lit up yes. because it was just, 
you know, it was just a real genuine moment right. and there wasn't anything attached to it. And uh, and I think, you know, going back to connecting and, and belonging that um, we're not even doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, uh, we're not even complimenting each other because mm -hmm. we're afraid we're going to mm -hmm. say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. They're going to take it the wrong way. We're going to be misunderstood. Uh, what are some of those social skills that you're teaching kids that because you talked about that earlier? Mm -hmm. uh, social skills. And it's interesting because, you know, I, a kid will be referred to me from a teacher saying they need, you know, social skills. Social skills require is really a lot. It's really like an umbrella. And under the umbrella, you find um, self-awareness, self-management, uh, social uh, management. And so. Really, again, I'm digging deep as to what it is exactly that you mean, because social mm -hmm. skills really is a general term. And so uh, how I help teachers in is I give a checklist, and then we determine, you again, strengths and weaknesses. What are they good at when it comes to social skills? Because then they realize, yeah, it is the fact that uh, they don't know how to, um, they invade personal space. And so understanding, okay, if that's an area that we need to work on, then I'm going to work on that differently than if it has, you know, children who have conflict resolution problems, mm. things of that sort. So it includes a whole lot of uh, skills. Right. And a lot of those skills uh, are learned in your interaction with other people. You kind of learn not to do that anymore, <laughs> like, right. or to do something. Um, unfortunately, play has been taken out of our schools, um, where a lot of learning happened in kindergarten and, you know, preschool. Remember that? You dressed up and you learned how to uh, do those things, and now there's a lot of push on academics, and so you do see a lot of social skill deficits wow. and so uh, you do kids do need additional support now within the schools there's generally supposed to be some type of teaching of that in the classroom I know we have something called second step where they talk they have actual lessons that the teacher is supposed to teach for social skills uh, empathy compassion kindness things of that sort and then you know if a student continues to have a difficulties in that area, then they refer to me. But really, it's supposed to be a given throughout the entire school. And then for students who, despite the support they're receiving in the classroom, right. um, come to see me. So it, it starts in the classroom as well, being able to you know, uh, guide a child who's having a conflict with another child um, and that sort. So. But we do amazing things in our social skills group. Uh, we role play. Uh, we play games where uh, if a conflict arises, it's a safe environment for them to be able to talk it out, and they practice that. Uh, we create a project so there's something that they can work on as, as a team. Uh, again, like we were saying, that every, everybody's important. You know, you have the person who's gung-ho, and they'll start on it right away, and then you have the person who will take a back seat. Uh, and so it's, 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 we try to make it for kids a little more their language, play. Right. Play is so huge. Yes. If you don't know how to play as a kid, then you become an adult, and then you don't know how to relax and enjoy yeah. the moment. Uh, when I, going back to the group home, I would have the, I had the kids play a, a basketball game where, uh, every kid, I think, got, like, Oh, they got one shot 
to shoot a free throw. Mm-hmm. And they all lined up shooting a free throw. And I pull one kid to the side uh, w- without telling the other kids. And I go, I want you to throw the ball on the other side of the court. Just I want you to mess the game up every time. I just want to see right. how the group reacted. Your own social experiment. Yeah, do a little social experiment <laughs> with the kids. And so he did it. And uh, the first time, there was some grumbling. Then the second time, kids were getting upset. And the third time, some kids were about to fight. Oh. And one of the kids, and he was the kid who was uh, the biggest challenge in the beginning. This oh. is the kid who just, he'd been through a lot mm-hmm. by the age of 12. Mm. And he goes, guys, don't you see Mr. Flowers is testing us <laughs> right now? He wants to see how we're going to respond to this. And it was just, it was one of those moments where you go, oh, this work is paying off yeah. because he he would have been the kid who would have gotten into the fight, and now he's the kid who is who is learning because I was giving him extra time mm-hmm. and and really uh, and molding him, and uh, but that only came about through play, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to, we have to give kids space to 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 screw up, yeah, instead of Absolutely. everything is you know. Do this like this, do that like that. Everything's organized. Yeah. 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 But, you know, monitored play and with intention. And and, and that's when we get to see if what we are doing as parents, as teachers, is if if what we're doing works. Yeah. You know, but we have to give them that space. It allows them to be creative. And, you know, there's no really leeway for creativity in the academics is right answer wrong answer answer. but being able to you know access different parts of the brain that aren't being used when you're sitting in a classroom and listening to lectures one-hour lectures I mean we know that the body has to move having those brain breaks even you know going outside and walking around campus for a little bit and Mm -hmm. then coming back Uh, we know that that's science that the body requires that in order to access the highest potential of thinking. And so, um, you know, we got to let them play, <laughs> let them do what, you know, learn from their experience on the playground. And, and I wonder how much of bullying is attributed to that mm-hmm. because if we don't give kids the, the space to uh, release their energy, absolutely, you know, then it's like I, I, even myself, like, I mean, we're not just talking, we're talking about just humans, right? right. Like, we need to walk, we need fresh air, we need yes. sunlight, or else we become destructive. Absolutely. It's not healthy. Absolutely, absolutely. Allowing them the opportunity to um, express themselves somewhere safe, too. Just right. kind of uh, talk it out or whatever. And uh, again, what? Don't be too tired. You know, don't you have kids who have who lose sleep. I have a student at a cl- at um my school who sleeps. He's in second grade, like six hours a night. I mean, and he, mm. he's disruptive. He's right. aggressive. Right. He's. We know what happens when sleep right. is in. You lose sleep as an adult. Think about it. You wake up an hour earlier. You don't feel good. Right. <laughs> You're not at your best. So, um, you know, daylight savings time. Yeah, (laughs) it takes you what, like three months to recover from that. (laughs) You're like, I'm just now getting my groove back and then it's going to change again. (laughs) So So giving them their basic needs is extremely important, you know, um, 
for them to be able to work at their capacity, at their best. Um, is there, uh, I'm trying to think, are, are there, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is important for uh, parents to know uh, with, with kids? Well, I think what's extremely important is relationships, just establishing relationships for your kids and, and, and uh, really keep them talking. You know, being able to, if it's not you, I know when I was growing up, I didn't, you know, I spoke to my mom sometimes, but I spoke to my aunt in my first heartbreak. It was painful. It was, you know, devastating. I called my aunts at 3 a.m. every morning and just keep them talking. You know, if it's not you, make sure that they have, you've established a relationship with someone else for them where they feel like they can communicate. For my daughter, it's like her grandparents. Um, you know, she comes to me, but, you know, she has a best friend being able to just identify and keep a, one of the things we do for our students is have kind of like a safety plan where we have them list the, num the people that they feel comfortable communicating with. Again, self-awareness. What is it, who is it that I feel that I can go to and speak to? Um, you know, what are some positive coping strategies? Uh, helping them identify what those are, you know, journaling, uh, gratitude, uh, dance, put them in some type of exercise, um, but helping them to th buffer some of the things that are kind of inevitable that they're going to, they may go yeah. through with social interactions with their peers. Uh, so relationships, make sure they have a strong, good relationship with someone that they can talk to. Yeah, I was just reading this stat and they were talking about um, the, you know, the high incarceration of black males and, uh, you know, the struggles we have in school systems, et cetera, et cetera. And the one thing that they point to is uh, having a mentor. Mm -hmm. Because they, there was, I think it was NPR, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about like how um, black men who are, or black boys, who are raised in poor uh, versus raised in rich, uh, rich uh, uh, neighborhoods or environments or homes, they're still just as likely to um, have the same outcome later on in life. And But the difference is not wealth, it's in who had a mentor. That is the main difference. Isn't so it has nothing to do with Absolutely. money. It has to do with mentorship. Right. So no and, amount of money can take person. you know precedence over a relationship. You know, and and that one that person that you can talk to about anything. So when you feel safe with that's the and it, I see you you have a ten year old daughter. You're not married. No. Um, can you speak to what led to the divorce? Um, just different views on uh, what a relationship entails or the uh, yeah just different views on um, on basically what I needed someone couldn't give me and what he needed I couldn't give him right and, and you so were established you need time yeah <laughs> 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 which is is so challenging because you know we both live in LA and and, and uh, 
price of everything's going up. Yes. And so it's like, man, you want to be in chill mode, but you like, but inflation ain't in chill mode. Right, right. <laughs> and now you need, what, two incomes to live yeah. in a 900 square foot apartment. Like, you know. It, right. <laughs> so I, I understand why people are moving to like Arizona, Tennessee, moving out the country. It's, uh, it's real. But uh, the field of school psychology is growing, though, right? Like the, in terms of jobs and, uh, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great right. pos- uh, place to be. Yeah. At one point, it, you know, the dis- district that I work with um, had a hard time filling some positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they're all full. They're all filled. Uh, you know, the um, yeah, don't come looking for her job, right? <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's my bread and butter. Uh, <laughs> so, the National Association of School Psychologists is working really hard to have policy in place where budget increase would allow for more mental health providers, okay. and so, um that's where uh, it really starts is the, is the money because I know schools and the principals have their own budgets and sometimes it's hard for them to make a decision mm-hmm. on how to spend that money. And so uh, just knowing that we do more than assess mm-hmm. and test kids, that we do provide mental health support for our students and help inform and educate the school staff. Um, so again, und- Understanding the the realm of what a school psychologist does is helpful, uh, and understanding that we wear many, many, many hats. The uh, and to wrap up, uh, the amount of kids diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. How much is that? They they just ain't getting enough sleep. Yeah. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> like. <laughs> right. 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 Like how, how much? Are, how much of the ADHD? Because I I, I mean. Because so many kids are just they're, they're drugged up and yes. their, their brains haven't formed yet. Absolutely. How do you feel? Uh, do you one? I guess the qu- first question is in knowing that you're a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. Right. Um, and you don't have to answer this question because I don't know how it how it <laughs> could affect your. But um, the uh, amount of prescribing pills to kids to me seems like. Uh, I don't, I don't agree with it only because I'm thinking about the formation of their brains haven't developed mm-hmm. yet, and now we're plugging in chemicals, Absolutely. Uh, which to me then makes me feel like they'd be more reliant on the pill than on their own mm-hmm. coping skills and right. mechanisms, right? Right. right. Uh, can you speak to that? Well, if we're talking about chemicals, you know, the feel-good hormones are... Uh, which would be the serotonin and the dopamines. Well, there are ways in which you can increase those levels outside of a medication. And we know, uh, again, like you're saying, the prefrontal cortex, which is where the executive functioning happens, which is ADHD, the difficulty waiting their turn, um, the hyperactivity, the uh, inattention, all that is part of the prefrontal cortex with the executive functioning and that has not developed so uh again we are all you know very complex human beings and addressing it physiologically making sure they're getting enough sleep making sure they're eating healthy food we know that that red dye Mm. physically you know affects their uh your mood it affects their energy levels 
Um, you know, so we see kids coming red with dye, that. What is that in? Usually? It's in like Gatorade, that oh, red Gatorade. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's called red dye, and then there's a number. I can't remember right oh, now. Oh man. Um. So yeah, look that up. What that does it do? It 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 is a chemical. It it actually causes like an energy increase, like the hyperactivity that you may see sometimes in in children. Now that I'm not diagnosing anything right, like right, that, right. but no, just no, saying yeah, that yeah, it could right, it right. could contribute to right. uh, how the children's energy level and mood and things of that sort. Because anytime you take in any kind of food, uh, food is chemical and you're affecting your body. Right. And if you're not eating enough greens or, you know, leafy greens or anything like that, and you're just eating sugar, you know, coming to school with a Cinnabon and some Twinkies, and then 10 minutes later, you're like, what's, you know, Johnny can't sit still. Um, so just making sure that we address kids' physio, you know, their physical body, their uh, their brain, making sure that they have uh, opportunities to increase their serotonin and dopamine in a natural way, exercising, we know that's big. Right. Even journaling and gratitude and mindfulness, and we can do those type of things in the classroom. Right. I know that mindfulness, you know, us being able to kind of just sit, you know, and be present. I know um, we encourage teachers to do that in the classroom. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 we need to look at, address the whole student, the whole child is what I guess I'm saying. And we have to be investigators and determine what it is that's creating this hyperactivity or whatever it is that they're saying the child would be considered ADHD and address it based upon our investigation and not just hand out any kind of chemical. Right, right, right. Yeah, wow. It's so powerful. Um, uh, Tani Garcia, thank you so much. I think Yay. I think we went through... I think we answered all the <laughs> questions that people hope so. were uh, um, wanted to wanted to know about. Um, I, I guess last thing is, uh, uh, you know, uh, the I, introversion and extroversion have become such a, a hot topic, um, and I think that when I look back, I realize that a lot of my uh, behaviors, my isolating, my withdrawing, was being overwhelmed uh, because I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And it, I felt overwhelmed being in a class, being in a school, the bells, the alarms, the noises that right. took me an hour to get there, an hour to get home. Right. And then I just, I just went in my room and would not leave my room until right, school the right. next morning. And I realized so much of that was due to me uh, the overexposure right. of the people, but uh, but I thought it was just depression or sadness or just what other kids did. Right. You know, can you talk to that of like what? There's just so many things that can look like other things, mm -hmm. and if parents aren't aware, then you know uh, they they could be exacerbating whatever it is because we love extroverts mm -hmm. and we think is natural and mm -hmm. and and sometimes but introverts are recharged by spending Absolutely. time by themselves yes and i know just just personally i'm an introvert as well and um and so what i would do is come home and journal and i've been journaling since i was really small uh and that just kind of helped me 
Um, but yes, extroverts are kind of the ones who speak up in a meeting all the time and they, they actually process when they're speaking better when they're speaking. For me, I need to actually think about it first and then I can speak. But um, I think everyone has their place and everything has, you know, uh, how they uh, perceive the world. I mean, my job requires for me to be talk and to be out there a little bit because I do do staff development meetings at school. I do have to sit in IEP meetings and present. And again, I do that and then I go home <laughs> and then I like binge watch something <laughs> or whatever and the, to recharge my buttons. And a lot of it too is I, I, I think about it a lot. You know, I may be thinking, okay, am I prepared enough? Am I ready enough? Um, and then usually go in and it's fine. Um, as opposed to maybe an extrovert who would just, they learn through communicating or they communicate and that's just their comfort level. And for, I dated a guy who was an extrovert and we really didn't get along because I would go home after work and want to stay home and he'd be like, let's go out and have a drink. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. And I remember at some point he was like, are you like some kind of social misfit? And I'm like, no, I just don't want to be here. This is just too much. And it was just a big mess. And uh, so a self-awareness, being aware of what type of, you know, how you recharge your, ba your, your batteries and being okay with that. Uh, so, yeah, I do think a lot of times uh, when I was younger, people said I was a little more emotional, perhaps because they, you know, I did find out later on that's considered an introvert is that I kind of take on people's emotions a little more and very kind of perceptive of body language and what people are doing. Um, and so just self-awareness, being aware of what it is, who you are, what you like, what you're good at, being aware of uh, what causes you to be overwhelmed, what do you do when you're overwhelmed, what can you do when you're in that situation and prepare yourself. Um, so I Yeah, because I, I think a lot of kids uh, who are introverts, if they haven't had the opportunity to recharge, uh, become very irritable. Because mm -hmm. I know that's how I am. If mm -hmm. I if I'm too hungry, too overexposed, I be if I stay at a party too long, yeah, I become very irritable. Yeah, and uh, and I and it's to a point where it's like it's it's very much known. So I've learned to time myself. Be like. Yeah. I'm only going to be here for two hours because at 2.01, you're going to see right. a whole different. Right. <laughs> right. And that's so, that's what being, you know, you've made yourself aware that these yeah. are my needs. This is what right. I need yeah. and, and advocating for that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think about a kid who's in class from eight to three or eight to four who can't get that, you know, right. who he's overexposed after whatever his time limit is. It's right. different for every introvert. Right. But, you know, if his is, you know, an hour, three hours right. or whatever, right. you know, he's he's on borrowed time after that. Right. And you don't know, you know, that's, and I think that what's interesting is, you know, I think that's why you'll have some students who present one way before lunch and another way after lunch. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they, they're in a whole different, mm -hmm. something else is kicked in. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And they're in that fight or flight, right. or, you know. Yeah. yeah. And the more a teacher knows about their students, the Absolutely. better they are to, you know, help them with that. So for the introvert, you know, calling on them in the middle of a classroom, 
you know, <laughs> would be something that would be probably anxiety-ridden because they're feeling, you know, give that person time, give them that extra time to think about what it is that they need to say or call on them when you're sure they know the answer. Uh, but just knowing your students is powerful, you know, and, and that starts with what? Your relationships, you know, from the minute they step on your campus, uh, just, you know, having the handshake. You've seen the thing where some right. teachers have handshakes for their students when they enter in the classroom before they come in. Um, and same thing, you know, with parents or whatever, you know, advocate for your child. Say, you know, these are the things that I know about my kid. And these are the ways that I know that she can be successful. And I need, you know, communication with the school so that we are working in tandem right. that she's working at her his or her best potential. That is so beautiful. Uh, Tani Garcia, thank you <laughs> so much awesome. uh, for doing this. This uh, was so cool. And uh, for those of you listening, um, oh, last thing, I always ask this of all the guests. Okay. Uh, because I always feel like there might be someone listening in who is on a cusp of uh, completing suicide. Mm -hmm. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? I would say, uh, what is? how can I support you? What can we go through together? Um, I would listen to what, they are hap what they're saying. Um, I would give them reasons to live, you know, help them work out reasons to live. What we do sometimes with our kids is we give them, you know, what I've learned to say is to help identify and say, what are you working on? Making sure, so that gets them future focused mm -hmm. and that gets them thinking about ahead and about a goal, uh, allowing them to set a goal and working towards something. But uh, mostly to let them know that I'm available and that uh, they can trust me and that I'm going to help them work through it. Um, and understanding that sometimes those feelings come and they come in waves. I'm here to help you move, you know, work through this wave. That's so great, that that future forecasting, yeah. getting them to think about the yeah. future. I love that question. What are you working on? Yes. That, that's what we're going to name the episode. Yes. That's great. Uh, again, this is the longest goodbye. <laughs> I said goodbye to you a million times already, Tanny. This is it. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for is not a substitute for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number or the Trevor Project. Yes. You can talk, you can text, yeah. you can Skype. There's no reason that uh, you can't get your voice heard. There's someone out there who will listen to you. Uh, just or just sh shout out the window. Buy you a bullhorn. I showed yeah. Tan. I got a bullhorn. He really does. Right, well, yeah. <laughs> so I got something to say. I just, I'll pull out the bullhorn, and I don't care who responds. Uh, all right. I know I said uh, goodbye. I told you these these are some long goodbyes. Um, but uh, after we, quote, unquote, ended the podcast, uh, I forgot to ask you the most, one of the most important questions about if you go to a school psychologist, and you are reporting uh, uh, suicidal ideations. Uh, does that stay on your record? And does that affect it when you apply for college and so on and so forth? So, Tani Garcia, can you please yeah. yes, speak yes, to that? Yes. Thanks. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is uh, no. And I'll explain what happens uh, if, a, if a child does uh, 
have suicidal ideations and they meet with the counselor the, the, um, or the psychologist, uh, we do do something which is called a RARD, which is a risk assessment report data, where we kind of uh, determine the level of risk for the student, um, you know, asking, uh, you know, have you had these thoughts before? Um, you know, if you were con to, con you know, if you are considering suicide, do you have a plan? Uh, and then, you know, identifying if uh, they actually have access to any type of weapons or anything like that. And as um, a member of the crisis team, so the crisis team members meet and we determine the level of risk. Uh, once we determine the level of risk, we uh, then find the support that the student needs based upon that level. And then we do uh, give the RARD over to uh, an administrator, and the administrator would put the uh, information um, into a system where uh, it's called MISIS, and the system is just the student's information data. And that does not go, the RARD, nor does that MISIS information go into their cumulative records, which is the uh, thing that is copied and sent off to colleges, uh, which is, so it's just a computer system that helps the staff understand that the student may need additional support, but that uh, computer uh, data does not go with them to college. So uh, they should feel comfortable coming to see a psychologist or a counselor and get the need and the support that they they desire and they most desperately need. Now, at the college level, if they go see a school, if they go to see the, the psychologist there, would that psychologist be able to access their high school uh, therapy records? Well, I, I would believe that uh, they would maybe call, they could call, and that information is in the system. Um, but it would not be something that would be in there before them in their records. So they would, in, if they did want to know, they would have to contact the school um, and okay. speak to the administrator. That's that's great news because I know so yeah. many people uh, are not going to, uh, they're not using the resources. Right. That's, it's one thing for the school to provide it. It's another one for the parents and students to actually uh, uh, take advantage mm -hmm. of it. What would be some other reasons why students aren't taking advantage of it or parents aren't aren't utilizing, would, you know, wouldn't utilize Canceling. it? Well, um, a lot of times some parents will not uh, ref allow a child to see a psychologist or a counselor because they are afraid that the child will disclose something uh, that may uh, get the parent in trouble or anything of that sort because we are manda mandated reporters. Um, if there's any type of abuse that we see or any or hear, um, we are mandated to report it. And so you do see parents and uh, sometimes, you know, if they're living with other parents, you know, grandparents or sorts, and the child has had some difficulties with um, things going on at home, mm -hmm. uh, they may opt out of not seeing, having their child see a a counselor, but we do explain to them, you know, those circumstances are really far and few, and we really, you know, want to give that child the protective measures that they need in order to adapt and cope with whatever it is that's going on. Uh, we, a lot of kids, kids don't even speak about specifics. They just say, I'm having uh, a difficult time sleeping, and we help them work through that. So uh, at any time that 
there should be no reason as to why uh, a child should not be able to access the support that is on campus. Um, because we're here to help them work through some stressful and traumatic, you know, situations. Right. All right. Thank you so much again. <laughs> I, I, I promise you that's this the end of the podcast, <laughs> the end of the episode. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you. But I had to get that question answered because yes, I, I wouldn't have been able to question. sleep tonight if I, if I hadn't had that on there. <laughs> uh, and so I thank you again.